0: Welcome to the X Men Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson.
1: My name is Sonia Rappaport.
0: And today, Sonia, we are concluding our Odyssey into Beyond Good and Evil, uh, the fourth part of Beyond Good and Evil, episode 58, the 11th episode of season four Beyond Good and Evil, part four. Beyond. We are well beyond the concepts of good and evil at this point, aren't we? I suppose. We are in the realm of insane, crazy town.
1: Yeah, your favorite.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is one of my favorite X-Men episodes of all time. uh, Mainly just for the crazy, wonderful dialogue and magical thinkings of our old pal, Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to get into that uh, later. Um... And we're going to give you an idea of just how nutty he is. But this is the conclusion to this uh, another X-Men epic. This time a four-parter. Wholly original this time. Not an adaptation like the Phoenix Saga uh, or Days of Future Past. This is its own X-Men... Tasting and I have to say it's really oh. wonderful and creative.
1: I didn't know that this isn't pulled from comics.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, they've had they've probably had similar storylines in different ways, but um, really, its own thing uh, really showing just how great the X Men Task show is and the potential it could have had for new and original stories on its own right if it was allowed to keep going forward. Hmm. Um, And by new and original stories, I mean not just one-offs, but like big, meaty stories. Yeah, Uh, They really knew these characters well. They understood the stakes well as far as like the epicness of Marvel tales. It's just a really great job. So I'm very excited to talk about this one. So uh, just a quick recap on the story overall. Very simply, Apocalypse is hanging out in this place called the Axis of Time. It's this weird floating ball in another world that has like some peculiar looking like renaissance style homes on it and mm-hmm. and chasms and chambers and it's it's floats in the middle of like a large glowing beam of energy and from this beam of energy in a 360 way there's all these roads that extend light roads right Bless you. Oh, thanks. A uh, rare podcast sneeze. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's unedit that out. Uh, so, yeah, there's all these light roads extending from a 360 way. And uh, our old pal Bishop's caught on these light roads, sort of not where the axis is, but
1: yeah. outside it the axis. like he's been walking on one of them for ever, like for all three episodes previous to this, right? Right,
0: yeah, exactly. And we get an explanation for what these light roads are. They're actually beams of time. Mm-hmm. And he's stuck there with this weird nymph creature called Bender, who, uh, spoilers, we learned later in this episode, is the janitor of The Axis of Time.
1: But also the creator.
0: Well, he doesn't remember if he is or not. Uh-huh. It's been so long. But we're going to really talk about him a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, he's got an insane backstory. Um, so, and then Apocalypse's plot has been, he's been traveling through the universe to capture all the psychics, to use them... To, for some nefarious purpose. And we're going to let Apocalypse explain that in his own words coming up. Uh-huh. Um, so it, that's sort of where we're at. The X-Men, in the last episode, they traveled back to ancient Egypt to destroy Apocalypse's uh, Lazarus Chamber pyramid structure. Uh, they were going to kill Apocalypse sort of at the beginning of his r- rule of tyranny in the year 1200 BC. Uh, that was all an elaborate Trick by Apocalypse to lure the X Men in because he wanted to capture Xavier. Mm-hmm. It turns out he also also captured Wolverine too. I, I didn't we didn't mention that detail in the last episode. I don't think, but so he captures Xavier and Wolverine. Uh, he it, and we don't know where the Apocalypse from the year twelve hundred is in this timeline. He he's irrelevant, I guess. Uh, so and that's where this episode opens up, and essentially the X Men. They've been had, they're very annoyed, Archangel's with them, and he's like, he knew! (laughs) He's just very frustrated, he hates Apocalypse. Apocalypse is ruining Archangel's life on a daily basis. Uh, But they decide to blow up the pyramid anyway, just for the hell of it. Um, Which actually turns out to be quite useful later on. Uh, The X-Men then escape to a time machine. Um, They need to track down Professor X... Luckily, he Beast mentions that accounting for this probability that he would be captured, he has a pulse generator on his person which allow which Beast describes that working with Cerebro and the Grey Malkin, which is the time machine cable <laughs> steals from the future. Right. Uh because his time machine was originally stolen by Apocalypse. Uh using the Grey Malkin uh, and Cerebro working together, they can track down this uh, pulse generator to find Professor X, because getting to the axis of time is not easy. I'm sure the the algorithm you have to put into the time machine to go to the axis of time instead of some moment in time is quite complicated. But, uh, you know, luckily, again, the pulse uh, generator is a thing. Um, so, uh, anyway, that's what's going on, basically. That's where we're all caught up to. Caught up to. Um as we're seeing these scenes, we get the first of several interesting cameos in this episode. Mm-hmm. We they, they show a hallway shot of the all the psychics that have been kidnapped. And so far we know Jean Grey's been kidnapped, Professor X, Psylocke. Uh, and then we get our first cameo that I noticed, Strife, mm-hmm. who is this weird 90s villain. I had his action figure when I was a kid. Uh, I, he's got a very insane, complicated backstory. I think... Don't they all? Yeah, he's, like, another misbegotten son of Scott and Gene, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, from an alternate timeline. I don't know, because Cable is also an alternate son of Scott and Gene from an alternate timeline. Yeah. So, I'm not—I forget what, like, the deal Strife is. He might be a clone of Cable. I don't really know. Someone's gonna have to explain that to me. That's when the the X-Men—that, like, the mid-90s X-Men comics are right when I, like, stop paying attention to the continuity and I think that's when it gets most confused in a lot of ways, at least as far as I understand it. Mm-hmm. I've read from the 60s, throughout the 80s. I, I've caught up on all those comics, and I kind of skipped the 90s and picked up again in the early 2000s with Grant Morrison. So, stuff about Strife, Age of Apocalypse, those are like my personal weakest X-Men points. But uh, <laughs> a series of X-Men comics I'll, I'm surely never to read anyway. So, I, But I do love it when uh, people explain them to us, like Arthur, who did a good job yet again coming in explaining about Cable's... Eyes that you asked about. Yeah, that's right. He said that they were um they weren't tattoos. They were scars. Like hideous scars around his eyes, I guess either from like a battle or something. Right. And in the cartoon they they sort of they PG'd it up by making them stylized. Yeah, tattoos. Um, so, Arthur, will will need some explanation on Strife here. But yep. he is seen. Thanks for that. Right, yeah. I did make my mother buy me the Strife action figure when I was 10 years old for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess he looks cool. He's got, like, some kind of, like, medieval, like, silver futuristic body armor going on with, like, a like a metallic Batman mask in a weird way. Um, anyway, so, uh, like I said, the Beast suggests that... The X-Men use a combination of the computer from Gray Malkin and uh, Cerebro to track down uh, Professor X. Mm -hmm. And I just love the voice acting on Gray Malkin, the computer, of all weird things. It's just so perfect and sci-fi-esque and just... It just strikes a wonderful tone, and for the first time ever in the X Men Task Podcast, we're going to play a clip from the show.
1: Yeah, let's uh, see how it goes. Uh, yeah, with the audio. You're yeah,
0: right. Yeah, I'm playing this straight from my phone. I recorded it off the computer, so it here we go. Gray and Cerebro are having quite a conversation about your professor. All analyses confirm partial temporal trajectory. Partial trajectory. That's Cerebro the first. Was computer, was Xavier's time travel path obstructed in any way? Temporal Voyager Charles Xavier reached his programmed destination. What destination? Between time, the nexus, the axis of time. Charles Xavier exists outside of time. Outside of
1: time. Able?
0: Yeah, so that was awesome. Uh, Hopefully we all heard that well. The voice of Gray Malkin Computer, it's just... There's something very... it's like a AI voice that is thousands of years more advanced than the Cerebro AI voice, uh-huh. which is you know obviously Professor X's voice in some, but in a more stilted way. Yeah. The Gray Malkin voice is almost like it's like a it's like a, it's like a thoughtful AI voice, yeah. but with this very dry, matter of fact tone. The way it's talking about the axis of time and things being beyond time, and well, it's yeah, like it's a computer, yeah. But it's just the way it describes it, so it's like it's obvious, isn't it? Beyond time, yeah. I, yeah. I just love the voice acting, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so i always impressed by the voice of Grey Malkin. Just great touch, great great voice acting on the show, great art design in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then, uh, what's going on? This episode's very hard to describe. It's just like so many great quotes and a lot of like strange moments. Um, for instance, we see Wolverine captured at the axis of time, and he also kind of wants to know uh, what's going on. Uh, and he, he has, just has a great line where he says, uh, What are you doing, you pile a dog puke, to Apocalypse? Yeah. <laughs> and Apocalypse is like, You'll regret saying that to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I've allowed you to live to witness the end of all time. Ha ha ha. He wants a witness to. Uh, The destruction of the universe. He likes the glory. Yeah. Well, you know, he wants to rub it in Wolverine's face. Mm -hmm. How appropriate for Wolverine, a character who's seen many things in his long lifetime, to be a witness to this potential uh, cataclysm.
1: Apocalypse. Right, yeah. Potential apocalypse.
0: Right, a potential apocalypse, right. Uh, So, anyway, and that's where Apocalypse finally... Explains what the hell is going on in this mini series. And we have that recorded as well. First and I started it a little early where he's addressing Magneto just because I think it's really funny the way in which he talks to Magneto. So let's play this whole clip. Oh, shall soon be in place. Wait, you said you would explain. If you insist Magneto, <laughs> we have of a single power that is beyond comprehension to all but myself. That is why certain psychics can see into the future. The mind can transcend time. You still haven't answered my question, Apocalypse. What happens next? Throughout the centuries, an
1: elemental balance to power of good and evil has always denied me final victory. Until now! But I have discovered a way to break that balance by simultaneously destroying the most powerful psychic beings in the universe. Like atoms being smashed, their destruction shall release a force of psychic energy,
0: powerful enough to stop the axis, to stop time itself. Okay. So, um, that is hilarious to me. That That is a little speech that has stuck with me my entire life. I just find it so funny... It's just some nonsense obviously some sci-fi philo- philosophical nonsense but I happen to believe it's all true. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that time is motion and like like time thought is also motion and that if you were to <laughs> if if so facto if you gathered all the psychics in the universe and then destroyed them all at once time itself would end. Um who the hell knows but it it sounds great uh, the actor uh playing apocalypse delivers that uh, a little speech wonderfully uh-huh. as we all just heard it's like
1: hypnotic the way he says it
0: yeah it's just so believable and so he, he, he you really hear the the false wisdom of a super god
1: it's so funny the beginning of that scene is like as a kid, I guess I, I wouldn't really think this, but as an adult watching it, I'm like, oh, they're like shoehorning in the backstory. Great, here we go. But then like, he launches into the story, and you're like, oh. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, we were talking as we were watching it. It's really... It's just as good as anything you're going to get in an a modern Marvel Ultra movie, like Avengers Inf- Infinity War. It's basically the same quality of writing, you know well
1: maybe they will make this into a movie one
0: day (laughs) beyond good and evil that's a
1: total that's totally one of those like names that they would give a Marvel movie
0: yeah that's true right exactly in that sense they would but not they wouldn't I don't think they're going to necessarily adapt this cartoon little storyline they they could though honestly like if they you know if they're scratching their heads for mo- for just X-Men movies. They could look to the cartoon and say, like, oh, this was really interesting. Mm. How about, like, Apocalypse Travels to the Axis of Time and does some nonsense. Yeah. It's really good. Like I said, like... The premise
1: is good, yeah. It's
0: pretty amazing that it's not an adapted story from the Marvel comics like most of these are. It's its, its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it's basically as good as any X-Men comic or any Marvel thing. It, it's like, it just it strikes the exact right tone. So I couldn't be more impressed with this uh, miniseries myself. And um, going back to Apocalypse's plan, um, you know, he explains it a little more. Basically, after he destroys all the psychics, like smashing atoms, you know, I guess the psychics themselves are elemental beings in a weird way in the in the fabric of space time mm-hmm. uh, he says all existence shall end outside of time except at the axis where he lives and from there he's going to be able to create a new universe in his vision and <laughs> it's a perfect universe where right. he's the
1: ruler of everything
0: it's it's kind of hard to know how he can do that yeah. from the axis right uh, you know he's definitely messing with forces beyond his comprehension, even though he claims to comprehend these forces more than anyone else possibly could. Apocalypse is quite arrogant in his super evil genius
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Magneto, once hearing this, is immediately betrayed, and he says, "Oh, you promised me you would just create a future where mutants rule and humans are subjugated. And he says, again, he gives his classic, well, of course I lied to you. You're an idiot. And Magneto... Uh, and then he orders one of the four horsemen to kill Magneto. It turns out one of the four horsemen is actually Mystique, and Magneto knew all along, or proclaims to know, have known all along that Apocalypse would betray him. And so he does a double cross on Apocalypse with Mystique, and they start fighting. And uh, Magneto says something kind of interesting. He says... Uh, you know, I-, I couldn't stand by and let you destroy the innocent along with the guilty. That's just too much for even for me. Mm-hmm. And we know Magneto's kind of a good guy in this series. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is nice to see that Magneto is not such a sociopath that he he thinks like, oh, well, I'll just go along with it. I'm going to be fine. You yeah. know, Let's see what happens. As Mr. Sinister uh, proves to be in right. a minute. But uh, I like Apocalypse's reaction to Magneto's uh, moral accusation. He says something along the lines of "Spare me your petty judgments. They spring from a brain too meager to judge my reality." Yeah, right. <laughs> like spring from a brain. <laughs> Apocalypse is really tripped out on himself. <laughs> and so, and so, Magneto is fighting Apocalypse, and he sort of knocks him into the axis, like off like an, an impossible cliff, from which there's no like, like hit of that where you can land, I don't know, into nothingness. Yeah. And Mr. Sinister witnesses all this. He says, bad mistake, Magneto. It's like, I'm with Apocalypse the whole time. His uh, vision of creating a whole new universe appeals to me. So uh, they start fighting. Uh, the four hor- the, the real four horsemen are there. They're also fighting Magneto. Apocalypse turned out to be okay. He rises up somehow, and uh, I guess he can fly, sort of. And um, they're all turning against Magneto. Magneto retreats into a chamber to rescue Wolverine. Mystique says, I'll hold off everybody. And she manages to do so against a bunch of super-powered beings with just her blaster pistol. You know, they don't, like... They don't really take advantage of Mystique's power uh, the way they could. The way they showed Morph do in one episode recently, where he's turning into a bunch of useful things, like large beasts and animals and other mutants to fight things. Yeah. Mystique... Whenever Mystique fights in the show, she's generally just shooting her gun. Right. Which is weird. They could be showing her doing a lot more creative things, being a shapeshifter. She could turn into, like, a dinosaur or
1: right. like well, a large
0: robot or something. Right.
1: she was In this episode, she was one of the four horsemen, but right. only for, like, a minute. And yeah. then, like, later on, it would have been useful. Even if she wasn't going to get creative, if she would just turn back into one of the four horsemen, she right. could do a lot more damage. Any
0: number of creature with a weapon, because she can generate weapons, too. Yeah. So, uh, whatever. Okay, she does manage to hold them off with her little laser pistol fairly yeah. well. Uh, so, things are getting crazy. Magneto rescues Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine's a little bit surprised, and but immediately like knows what the score is. So Magneto's being shot from behind, and I just love Wolverine's lines in this episode. He's like, "Magneto, behind ya! <laughs> you!" Know, just really like trying to help Magneto right away and very earnestly. Yeah. Um, the X Men arrive to join the fight just in time. The Gray Malkin lands. Cable comes out. I don't know what the other X Men are doing. I get, you know, this is where I was a bit confused because Cable seems to be the only one coming out of the time machine, Mm -hmm. I guess he drops the other X-Men off back at the mansion. Because we thought we noticed a plot hole, which we'll discuss here um, in a second. So, anyway, Cable joins the fight. Uh... Professor X mentions that his psychic energy is being drained. So right now, all the psychics are floating around in glass tubes around like the beam, the main beam of vertical the time axis. energy. Right, yeah, the yeah. A- the vertical axis of the axis of time. Yeah, Bishop's on the horizontal axis, uh-huh. and it's all like orbiting this weird Renaissance cube. I'm mean, not cube Renaissance sphere. sphere. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like Apocalypse's plan is working, uh, and and as it's working the horizontal axis which of which Bishop is on is starting to fade and recede. So it turns out that he's standing on these time beams, and as the Apocalypse's plan is working, time itself is receding from existence, and mm-hmm. Bishop kind of has to run along the time beams to not fall off. And we see, like, also floating around the axis, and this is why this episode's so hilarious and great, are these images of time... Like these floating TV like screens windows, yeah. yeah, so we see like the cavemen are getting blinked out of existence, the dinosaurs, uh, the moon landing, all the events of history are slowly getting receded, and it seems like once they're gone, they're not coming back yeah it's it, this is you know luckily, you know let's jump ahead a little bit, luckily when the thing gets reversed when the x- men start having their way, the time as we know it, starts to blink back properly into existence. So I guess they were they were gone but not forgotten yeah. in this case. Yeah. So but it's just fun to see all these abstract elements really like visually represented in some way. You know, like um it just it's stuff this is like the real bleeding edge of weird ass thought in the world. You know, when you talk about things like extra dimensions you know we have our three dimensions which we live in right, and then the fourth dimension is space time mm-hmm. essentially right, and this yeah. is real science, yeah, and then scientists <laughs> say if you believe in i guess if you believe if like if if quantum physics are to believe, right that mm-hmm. there's extra dimensions, i guess up to like eleven or twelve mm-hmm. dimensions and and these things are purely like abstract and mathematical like and it's just based on the way if you're trying to uh, bring order to the quantum level of the universe, that you need these extra dimensions. And these are dimensions that are invisible to people like us that are stuck in the three-dimensional space with the fourth dimension of time, you know? Yeah. Like, like the fifth dimension sixth dimension, they're all, like, curled up in impossible ways to visualize. Right. So, you know, if you're curious, you're like, what's the seventh dimension like? Yeah. You Google this stuff, and there's, like, all these, like, lunatic, like fake-ass philosopher-scientist people trying to give you an answer. Right. And some of them aren't fake. Some of them are real physicists just saying like, it, the seventh dimension is this mathematical construct. Right. But then there's like these fake guys who say like, oh, the seventh dimension is like the realm the of... The astral
1: plane or right. something. Right. Yeah.
0: It's like the realm yeah, like, of imagination or possibility or, so, you know, it's it's the dimension of which all possibility exists. Yeah. And the eighth dimension's even higher than that. And they like, some guy, like, I found like some guy years ago on YouTube that tried to explain what each dimension looks like or is. Uh-huh. Goes all the way up to the twelfth dimension, which is like the over dimension. So the point is, in this cartoon, you're getting a lot of that stuff realized in, uh, in a very satisfying sci-fi way, uh-huh. not in an accurate way, by it right. means, but in a, a way that, but for fun, tickles the imagination. Right? Uh-huh. I mean, I, I might have talked about it on this podcast before, but one of the best Batman runs ever is Grant Morrison, obviously the genius comic book writer. And this guy in real life is a Scottish guy. He's this total psychedelic, like, borderline New Age nut. But he's very smart. Like, he's not, like, so crazy. Uh But he does, like, in his spare time practice magic and witchcraft. You know, like, as real as it is in the real world. You Mm -hmm. know, whatever cult seeds into and stuff. But anyway, he's also very psychedelic, too. He's taken a lot of drugs and done weird things. He's got all these philosophies and visions himself about... Dimensions and time, mm-hmm. and he puts them into his Batman comics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
0: So, and one of his notions is that the I, th- I think it's like the fifth dimension is this place where all imagination is real, uh-huh. and because imagination is like because imagination is real, and it, and the fifth dimension is this real place. Like, beings from this fifth dimension come into the real world sometimes and influence things. Like, for instance, he invents this character. Well, I don't think he invented the character, but he he repurposes. There's, like, this Bat-Nymph character. I forget what his name is, really, but he's, like, this... He's in the Lego Batman game, too, they use him. Uh, But he's, like, this little floating Batman sprite that's, like, this cartoon. Uh And he comes to, like, mess with Batman sometimes. Yeah, And he claims to be a being of the fifth dimension, where pure imagination is. And um, it's, like, just crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And and, and and what's funny, it's, like, rooted in Grant Morrison's real beliefs about the nature of the universe. And if you ever listen to it, like, you should track down his interviews he does with Kevin Smith, where he talks about in-depthly, like, how he actually believes in this stuff. And Uh he's had, he's, like, traveled to, like, these Buddhist temples and, like... Like took some drug there, and like climbed up all these steps and had like out of body insane experiences where they told him these like alien beings told him about the nature of time and the universe wow. and they're really like incredible like stories he tells mm-hmm. so anyway, that the point is like that's that's the great thing about comic books and the great thing about uh stuff like this it like it delves into these like like I said bleeding edge imaginary philosophical pseudo scientific concepts. And it's comic books are the only place you're going to get them. And uh, kudos to the X-Men test show for going there in the <laughs> mid-90s. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the putting uh, planting that kind of seed in kids' brains. And honestly, Sonya, um, you know, I don't read too many modern comic books. But when you do, you really get the sense that the storytelling, the sci-fi storytelling that they have in these modern comics are, like... Decades beyond what Hollywood is doing, yeah. Like the, and you could tell that one day Hollywood's gonna go back and pull from these storylines and put them in movies. Mm-hmm. But what if you read some of like Grant Morrison's more modern Batman stuff, or even other things like that? And not even just Grant Morrison, but lots of other comic book writers. The sci-fi concepts they're dealing with like now are just insanely like cool. And, I, and beyond anything you see in any Star Wars movie, any Star Trek movie, just ridiculous, like, far-out shit with, like, I, you know, I, I can't even describe it. I don't really remember any good examples. But just, like, read Grant Morrison's Batman, which is already, like, five, eight years old or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, like, the stuff he goes into is just, is like, totally nuts. I mean, things that, like—here's uh, just one small example. It's not even that futuristic, but character concepts. Like, Batman is such an advanced thinker. Uh, and, like, master of his own mind that he's created a backup personality in himself just in case he ever got mind-controlled or brainwashed so that he could reboot a personality in his brain. And it's all, like, based on insanely deep meditation he does. Uh And that's, like, the kind of, like, deep character, like, insanity... And in, in itself, it's like a sci-fi concept, right? Yeah. Someone is so good at meditation that they create a backup personality in their uh-huh. mind. Like that—that's like what we're talking about here. You don't see that in a movie yet, yeah, you know? Right. And that's something that would be very interesting in a movie. Yeah. So it's like stuff like that. It's just a small example, um, and, and and again, like I said, that's why I love this Beyond Good and Evil series. This one's not even as far out as that gets, right? And uh, it's just fun. So, um, back to... Where were we even here? I've I've kind of been, like, stalling for time, because, like, I get so lost trying to summarize this own episode. (laughs) Um, So, alright. So, it looks like Apocalypse is winning. Bishop... At this point, takes it upon himself to just start shooting again. And he's shooting at, like, the ring of psychics, and they're on their glass tubes. Right. And just, lo and behold, that actually works. So, his laser gun from the 21st century uh,
1: releases Psylocke from a glass tube.
0: And weirdly enough, like, he knows who Psylocke is.
1: Yeah, Right. Well, not just that he knows who she is. It seems like they know each other. So right? Yeah. He's like, oh, are you okay? You yeah, know.
0: yeah, and that's strange because Psylocke's from the X Men's time in the nineties. Yeah. And I mean, I guess obviously she could have gotten well, he's older. Been
1: to the nineties. Yeah, so. but
0: I mean, has he met? He hasn't met. Does he Psylocke? know every
1: ps- psychic?
0: <laughs> right. Who knows? Um, anyway, so it's just or... kind of strange that he knows who Psylocke is. Um, and she's
1: like, "You gotta help the others release them, right. shoot, shoot them down, basically." You yeah, know. So he's yeah. like, "Okay, no problem," and he.
0: Well, and even that... It, well, and so he kind of starts to do that. Yeah. And then time starts to restore itself, like we said. We see right. the time windows come back. Uh, cavemen are allowed to exist, thank God. <laughs> uh-huh. Things of that nature. Um, uh. And Apocalypse witnesses all this. He says, wait, someone's outside? This is... Screwed up. And he's like a thousand years of planning down the drain, and yeah. he's actually really devastated in this moment. He's crushed, yeah. he's so his anger is is ridiculous. Like you really get a sense just in a few lines that he says that how disappointed he is, mm-hmm. and uh, so he starts to attack Bishop. Um, meanwhile, uh, Wolverine is also fighting in the access itself too. Uh, he, it's funny. It's funny, he says something back to Sinister, just another fun line, where Sinister calls him a small man, or he calls Magneto a small man, or, like, he says, Magneto, you're a small man for challenging me. And Wolverine's like, wrong, bub, two small men. (laughs) And it's just funny that Wolverine uh, refers to himself as a small man. I don't think that's something he's ever done in the show. No. It's almost self-deprecating on his part. Right. And that was just funny. And in, in Wolverine's battling, he destroys Apocalypse's orb, like, magical orb that he's been using to control the psychics. And Mr. Sinister says, like, you idiot, you fool, like, you have no idea what you've done. And Wolverine's like, there's more where that came from. <laughs> what other precious, weird, like, alien objects could I destroy that might mess up the universe? Um, so it's it's actually really... Spunky as ever. Yeah, spunky and funny as ever. He just so Wolverine destroys this magical time ball. Uh, all the psychics are freed. Uh, Sinister says like, "All right, we got to get out of here." He escapes with all his goons, Vertigo, and and his yeah. like his lot. Uh, the and in this moment, the axis of time, the little village apocalypse, I guess, is built with Renaissance houses on it and stuff that breaks Weirdly, apart, yeah. yeah, into a million like chunks of rock. And so the X Men are again falling in a, a situation where they're like. A planetoid has been destroyed, and they're hopping from rock to rock to save yeah. themselves. We saw that in the Phoenix Saga with Deken, right, uh, it being trapped in the kron crystal or something. We've also seen it in like weird psychic worlds that Xavier's fought in, where like the ground is not stable, and they're like hopping from. So, the X-Men are constantly... That's why a that danger room is so important.
1: That's right. Yeah, you have to simulate these conditions. <laughs> yeah, where you're just,
0: like, hopping from, like, falling rocks through an endless void. Yeah. <laughs> where all, like... It's it's like... That's what's great about the X-Men. It's like, all seems lost to the point where there's not even stable ground to balance yourself on. Mm-hmm. And they have to be prepared for that scenario. Because it happens quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, Magneto's helping Wolverine and vice versa. They have some f- funny banter back and forth. Uh... And, um... Again, you know, more people are threatened. So Apocalypse's plan looks like it's it's over. He's lost. But... And someone's... I forget if Bishop or Cable's threatening to shoot him. And Apocalypse has one badass line. Again, he's like, Do what you will, for I fear no one. And he's just so infuriated at this point. And, uh... He's, you know, saying, I'm immortal, you can't stop me. Wolverine has a good comeback line to this yet again. Uh, amazing Wolverine lines in this episode. He says... uh Challenging Apocalypse, he says, Come on, mister, change the universe, let's see what you got! <laughs> it's really stupid the way he summarizes the apocalypse, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's just, uh, that's just really good writing, you know? Like, Wolverine's in the moment, uh, you know, just summarizing things, as I said. Um And then, uh, at last, the psychics band together to finally stop Apocalypse for good, all the freed ones. So there's a lot of more interesting cameos uh, we see as the camera pans. I do not know all these characters, although some, I'm sure, uh, have names, interesting names and backstories. But we do see our old pal, uh, Emma Frost, she's there, Mm -hmm. uh, who we've met in previous episodes. We do see Rachel Summers in her 90s Phoenix outfit. Uh, Rachel Summers, another like alternate daughter of Scott and Jean, I guess. I don't know if she's alternate, <laughs> or, like the real life daughter, but uh, she—they're
1: really prolific.
0: Yeah, these alternate children, of <laughs> Scott and Jean, which comes into play later in this episode. Later in this episode, yeah. we'll see. But she's wearing like her her mid nineties outfit, which is like this like red, like dark red uh, velvet cat suit, not velvet, dark red like latex cat suit with weird spiky things coming out of it. That might have been another action figure I had too, which I always thought was really cool. Uh, the Phoenix. And she took on the name Phoenix after her mother, too. And she, I think she also gets the Phoenix Force at some point as well. She's like the next Phoenix. Mm. Uh, so, But we see her. Um, I think we see Strife again. Uh, so uh, maybe even in the distance we see Madeline Pryor. I might be totally wrong about that. She's like a clone of Jean Grey or something that Scott falls in love with. And I don't know, something weird about Madeline Pryor. Mm. I'm not even sure if we fully see her. But uh, basically, the psychics band together and they transport... Apocalypse out of time, which essentially will kill him, because the Lazarus Chamber has been destroyed, so he'll cease to exist. Although I don't think this is the last time we're going to see Apocalypse in the show. He comes back in some form or another. But anyway, uh, Apocalypse, for all intents and purposes, dealt with for good, for, now. for good and all, yeah. I think. Well, he comes back in season five. I think it's an origin story. Oh, okay. Do you finally see like what he was like in ancient Egypt? I don't. I've only seen that episode once in my entire life. I don't life. remember, I don't that remember, that remember one. at all. So we'll be. It'll be interesting to see why he comes back and how. Uh-huh. But let's. But like we said originally, Beyond Good and Evil was supposed to be the series conclusion of the entire show. Right. So I think they. Uh, you know, that
1: would have been a strong close too. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. Uh, we definitely see apocalypse uh, gone. He's dead. The X-Men finally managed to kill him. Yeah. Um, and then, back to our old pal, Bender, uh, who it turns out to be... He's Immortus, who himself is an, an alternate timeline version of the villainous time-traveling conqueror, Kang. I'm not sure what where Kang's from. He might be a Fantastic Four villain. Huh. But he's one of these, like, ultra, like, villains in the Marvel Universe. He travels through time trying to conquer everything. Um and then, essentially, I think the story goes is that at the end, at the end of time, these time beings who are the last to exist at the universe at the end of time itself, they enlist this Kang guy to become this other character named Immortus. They say, "Listen, we'll give you immortality if you manage to like look after time itself." And Kang, after failing to conquer the universe or time itself, so much after so many <laughs> centuries. It's like, all right, I give up. I'll give me immor- immortality, and I'll be the keeper of time itself. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, obviously more to that. Yeah. It's, like a, it's a, such a weird, deep cut of Marvelness, uh-huh. and it's just great to see that kind of, like, weird wink to the audience. Yeah. The, the rabbit hole of Marvel backstory and characters and the layers of cosmic entities is almost endless, mm-hmm. and it's great. So that's, that was the backstory of uh, Bender, this magical nymph, uh, who's really mortis, who's actually an, a version of Kang, this uh, immortal conqueror or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back at the uh, X-Mansion, the Grey Malkin is there. So the, <laughs> this is some unexplained shit that happens at the end. We see the time machine, Grey Malkin, crashed over the X-Mansion. So the X-Mansion looks completely destroyed. And that is not shown as to why that has happened. Did it just have a bad landing? My theory is that it was, like, something to do with the series conclusion that never got to be made and they had to change things. So that's why the X-Mansion's destroyed out of nowhere. And, uh, but we've seen the X-Mansion destroyed many times in this show. And, you know, the X-Men will have to get back to rebuilding it. Um, there's some interesting dialogue. Uh, Jean and Scott make out finally. Jean's still in her wedding dress. And they can finally carry on with their honeymoon. Uh, they have some funny lines about that. So maybe they're going to make some alternate babies now going forward. <laughs> be it Cable or Strife or uh, Rachel Summers. Like, whoever it might be. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so they're happy. Um uh, And and Beast asks Cable, like, oh, you finally destroyed the essence of pure evil apocalypse. What are you going to do now? Or how do you feel about it? Cable's like, I don't care. I just need to go back to my time to see my son. And he travels back to the... It doesn't show up, but he's traveling back to his day to meet his son Tyler. Um, Again, a lot of questions remain. The X-Men have gloriously messed up the timeline more than they ever have in this show. Uh, At this
1: point, it's like, what what difference does it make, really? What timeline?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've
1: seen the axis of time. And it's like irrelevant at this point,
0: you know? right? Um, if anything, this episode and this miniseries sets us up nicely for Deadpool two because we know we're going to see t- Cable and get Deadpool two. Mm. Um, we know there's going to time travel is going to be an element into it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how uh, that is going to be represented in this movie. Um, I think it's going to be pretty funny. Yeah, I think they're like embracing a lot of the elements of the X-Men cartoon in a sense.
1: Mhm.
0: Uh so I think it's actually going to dovetail nicely into Deadpool 2 which uh, comes out next weekend, right? I think so, yeah. Right. at the time of recording this, so we'll we're going to go see that and then we'll be able to report back to our X audience huh. uh the similarities, differences in the, between like cable and the movies and uh in the cartoons. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of uh that's kind of where Beyond Good and Evil ends and um like I said, uh, it just touches on a lot of fun stuff about comic books and about like philosophy and psychedelia and like lots of lunacy that you don't normally get in your kids' average kids' cartoon. Uh, so I, I, to me, it's an all-time classic favorite, and I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah, I had a
1: lot of fun rewatching it too. Yeah. Uh, um...
0: Yeah. No. Like it, it, it's hard to explain because the plot is so convoluted. And you really, everyone, like, that's enjoying our show, like, do yourselves a favor. Don't just listen to this podcast. Go back and watch this, the Beyond Good and Evil right, series. Right, at
1: least this series.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, it's one that really holds up. It's like, if you are still buzzing off Avengers Infinity War and need more, like, classic Marvel epic storytelling, <laughs> I, you could do no wrong by going to Beyond Good and Evil. It's really great and fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I was reading on the internet or even in the previous X-Men book where they felt like it was a little bit of a disappointment disappointment. Maybe it was from the standpoint of, like, they wanted it to be the series' conclusion, and mm-hmm. then they had to change it in a lot of ways. Right. But it was still really good and came out very uh, fun and almost, ti- dare I say, timeless? Um, I think so. Uh, really excellent. So, uh, that's all I have uh, for Beyond Good and Evil. Um happy that it's over or a little sad that it's over but happy to have rewatched it again uh believe it or not we still have i think like 6 more episodes of season 4 <laughs> yeah right so we you know the, the the show uh trundles on
1: yeah i i would say it's probably peaked already but
0: yeah i this might be the peak of the show yeah this is probably as good as it gets i mean there's definitely some really good episodes to come Mm -hmm. but uh at some point we're going to witness the inevitable decline of the show and which is not uh hopefully doesn't uh coincide with the decline of our podcast it might (laughs) i mean a podcast might have peaked a long time ago too (laughs) that's for the viewers to decide or the listeners to decide but um but yeah, it'll be interesting just to chart even the, the...
1: The descent. The
0: descent of the X-Men animated series. It's part of the whole story. Yeah, right. So we're telling a story. And we're also not even... You know, we're always gonna... We're gonna go to the movies, too. We're gonna keep talking about the movies. Um, we're gonna have special guests coming on in future episodes, too. So we're just still gonna have a lot of fun to be had here in the X-Men Test Podcast. I'm very excited. Um, anyway, uh, housekeeping stuff. Uh, a reminder to our fans to follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson, if you, if you like. Uh... Follow uh, follow us on Facebook. Join the X Men Task Podcast Facebook group. Join us there for some fun, lively discussions. It'll be fun uh, just as a group of fans together to talk about Deadpool Two next week. I'm real excited. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many great comic book movies coming out this summer that it's you know it's always just fun to keep buzzing about. And I really you know honestly I feel like. Uh, an, an X-Men Task podcast group is a nice place to talk about these things because, you know, if you're an X-Men Task fan, we all hold on to the belief that they all somehow come from this cartoon in one way or the other. Yeah. You know, they, they, all, they all pay homage even if they're not realizing it. Mm-hmm. So, And we're all of the age where I feel like we were, because we were such fans of this show as kids, it led Fox to make that first movie because there's a huge fan base of kids. We're like the prime aged audience for this entire explosion of Marvel movies and Marvel conquering the world. You
1: mean you and I are.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, our okay. generation, <laughs> the original fans of the X Men cartoon, uh-huh. we are the impetus for this whole like avalanche of endless Marvel everything. Yeah. Right. So it's really uh, it's really for us. <laughs> uh, and I think thanks, that, Marvel? yeah, I think it's like a special little thing. And um, I, I always like to think about that. It, it's nice that it's like it, this thread is just carrying through the decades now. Like, almost three decades, right? The 90s, the 2000s, now the 2010s, almost into 2020s. Oh my god, where's the time gone? Again, concepts of time, fun to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Going back to the main theme. Um, uh, so, follow us on the Facebook group, X-Men Test Podcast. Uh, look forward to speaking to you there. And also, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you rate and review podcasts. Give us five stars. We always appreciate the love and support there as well. Helps the show uh, gain some uh, much-needed visibility. Sonia, any last words of wisdom about good and evil, time-traveling? Uh, the nature of the universe. Uh,
1: no, I'll I'll see you. I'll see you in the eighth dimension,
0: okay? I'll see you in the ninth dimension.
1: Ooh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or the twelfth dimension. What was that song by the birds? I think it was like the eleventh dimension. I don't know. Whatever. Don't know. Anyway, uh, or maybe it was an album of the eleventh dimension. Um, uh, uh, dimensions. They're fun to learn about. Uh, goodbye, everybody.
1: Okay, Goodbye.